through the Word of God. Uh, we called it 2020. Uh, we're back in uh, December 2019, and we've just started at Genesis and looked for the gospel all throughout. And so today we come to the book of First John. Now there is uh, more than one John in the Bible, and most scholars agree uh, this is the same disciple um, that Jesus loved, the same, same person, same John that wrote the book of John and Revelations. There are similarities enough that even though it doesn't say his name in it, uh, we can connect this book with that disciple. Uh, so Jesus gave him and his brother James the names Sons of Thunder back in Mark 3. So, I mean, think about that. I think these guys were a little bit rough around the edges. Uh, most people try to avoid conflict. The Sons of Thunder probably looked for it. We see that, that Peter probably wasn't the only one, the only disciple with a foot-shaped mouth. I mean, these guys were sailors, and, and they were just a little rough around the edges. So, um, just for example, in Mark 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling them again of his impending death. He's telling them how he's going to be betrayed, and beaten, and scourged, and ultimately killed. And the very next verse... The sons of thunder, they ask Jesus to do whatever they want him him to do for them. I mean, you're you're dying, you're going to die, okay. Hey, would you do for us what what we want? And then they they ask if they could sit on his right hand and on his left hand in heaven. Um, It's probably not the best time to ask that, you know. It'd be like if your friend came and said, uh, man, they've only given me a month to live. And you said, well... Can I have your car after you're gone? I mean, it's, it's just a little bit insensitive, and that's kind of how John was. Uh, but this is still the disciple that Jesus loved in the inner circle of Jesus, a son of thunder. And now when we get to 1 John, he is a grandpa of thunder, an overseer of house churches, likely in the, in the town of Ephesus. Uh, as we'll see when we read, he loves his readers. He loves these believers. And so this wise and compassionate sage writes because some have denied Jesus altogether. Now there is so much rich stuff here in 1 John. We spent uh, 18 weeks in it just a few years ago. Uh, But one thing that, that we need to know, Paul wrote linear. In his letters he wrote linear. He went from one subject to the next, and it's really easy to follow, it's really easy to outline. And then he'll move on to the next verse, and then he'll move on to the next, next subject, next subject, and then he'll come back around. And so it's not that he's hard to follow, we're just going to be jumping around a lot here today. 1 John 2 7, John admits this letter contains nothing new, but man, he, he wants to write just to uh, remind us of things that were written in the gospel. We'll start in 1 John 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested or made obvious, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So the purpose is written right there in verse 4. Why did John write? So that 
our joy may be full. Those first blanks on your outline. Now, full is a word that means overflowing, supplied liberally. So you think of a glass that's just overflowing with joy. That's how he describes us as believers. I wonder if if all of us are, are, are there, overflowing with joy. The question becomes, how do, we, how do we get there? How do we have that kind of joy? And this is the next blanks on your outline. By finding life in Christ. The purpose for writing is so that we may have full joy. How do we find it? By finding life in Christ. Think about this. What's the most incredible thing you've ever heard? The most incredible thing you've ever seen? The most incredible thing you've ever held? Whatever it was, I'm sure you told a lot of people about it. And for John, the answer to all of these questions was Jesus. John experienced him firsthand. He heard him. He saw him. He touched him. He knew Jesus. And so he writes so that you and I can too. Romans 1.20, it tells us that creation testifies of a creator. When we, when we look around, there is an abundance of evidence that, man, God is real. Have you ever been to a place where pictures just didn't quite do it justice? Um, I mean, you can, you can be there, you can be standing there, and then when you get back home, you look at the picture that you took, and it's just not quite the same. We were blessed to go, to go west uh, for vacation this last summer. And, and so if you've ever been to places like the Grand Canyon or Zion National Park or, or Horseshoe Bend, man, you know they are just awe-inspiring. And, and I could share with you pictures of our, of our trip, but they're just not the same until you experience it yourself. Well, what we see in, in God's creation is, is, is evidence of a, of a very powerful, very creative, very capable sovereign over the universe. And this is all true, but it doesn't tell the whole story until we experience it. See, if this is the only picture that we have of God, uh, he's, he's sovereign, He's capable, He's over all of the universe, God might seem just a little bit distant, a little bit removed, a little bit indifferent. So what was the best way for God to introduce us to Himself? The best way for us to see the other side, another side of Himself, it's by sending Jesus, the Word of Life, as He's called right there in verse 1. Warren Wearsby said this, Christ is to us what our words are to others. Our words reveal how we we think, how we feel about others. So does Jesus to us. As the word of God, the word of life, Jesus reveals what God thinks and feels about you. We see a different side of of God in in Christ. He's humble. He's he's the healer, loving, servant, life giver. Jesus reveals the life that God wants to give each one of us. So think about your own life. Have you experienced Jesus yourself? Have you seen him with the the eyes of your heart? Have you heard him with the, the ears of your heart? Have you experienced Jesus? Uh, there really are four different answers to that, that question. 
Uh, some of us may say, without a doubt, yes, I have experienced him. Um, his goodness has ran after me, like we sang. Uh, all my life he has been faithful. I have seen it. Yes. And, and to that I say, if that's you, keep it up. Continue to find life in him. Others may say, you know, honestly, no. I don't remember a time that I experienced Jesus. And listen, if that is you, don't leave this place without getting questions answered about your spiritual life. This may be the last opportunity you have. We, we never know. We're not guaranteed the next second. Others might say, uh, yes, I've experienced Jesus, but it's been a really long time. So the question becomes then, once we've accepted Jesus to forgive us of our sins and, and to be our Savior, how are we supposed to continue to experience Him daily? And you probably know the answer. It's getting in His Word, through His Word, among other things. Uh, God's Word tells us a lot about Him. It reveals what He thinks about, about us. Through the Holy Spirit, it provides a connection to Nothing else brings that. Nothing else brings that. Okay, so some may say, yes, I have experienced Jesus, and to that I say, keep it up. Others may say, no, I've never experienced Jesus, and to that I say, get those questions answered before you leave today. Some say, yes, but it's been a while, and still others, when asked that question, have you experienced Jesus, you might actually say, you know what, I really just don't know. I really just don't know. Uh, there have been times in my life where, where, where I thought I would, uh, that, that Jesus was real and that he was in my life. And then there's other times in my life that, that I, just, I just didn't know. Sometimes I wonder. My favorite verse in 1 John is 5.13. He said this. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what's the next word? Know. That you may know that you have eternal life. Not feel, but know. And that, may, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Church, doubts are part of the Christian life. And, and working through those doubts, I believe, is part of working out our salvation with fear and trembling that Philippians 2.12 talks about. But John lists several things here in 1 John that give evidence that we have found life in Christ. And so this is kind of the litmus test for each of our lives. The first evidence is righteousness. Righteousness. He's going to use this phrase, born of God or born of Him, uh, to, to uh, give us these evidences here. John 2.29 says this, Everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Now, so the foundation that we have to lay, the groundwork that we have to lay with that statement is, um, man, Jesus makes us righteous. We have to understand it's nothing that we do that gives us right standing before God. It is only Jesus. But if we know him, then we practice righteousness. So there is a big difference. Our righteousness does not make us righteous in, in God's eyes. Only Jesus does. But if we know him, then we practice righteousness. Now that word righteousness means integrity, purity, Practicing correct, a correct way of acting, thinking, and feeling. Of course, it doesn't mean that we're perfect because we still deal with sin. Uh, we sometimes lapse in that practice. But as a whole, a pure and righteous life is exhibited. And so the question becomes, is there anything in your life that would not be considered pure 
and righteous? We need to be asking ourselves that question every day. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed there is a word that means happy or really better, joy. So we have joy when we see God. And if you can't see God, or maybe a better way of putting it is, if you don't experience Him working in your life, could it be because you're allowing something impure to reign in a certain area of your life? Those who are God's make righteousness a practice. It's stated this way in 1 John 2, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. It's a phrase that means does not make a practice of sin. For Jesus' seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born again. And again, it's not a lot that, that a, a believer lives a sinless life. John's already told us in 1 John 1, 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no sin, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This is written to believers. And so confessing our sin is not just the day we accept Jesus. It's every day. When we read it in context, one evidence of truly knowing life in Christ is living a righteous life. Number two is love. The second evidence is love. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So this word love, we, we, we are familiar with it by this time. It's agape, unconditional, God-like. That's what God produces in us when we know Jesus. And church, there's a lot of hate in this world. Agape love overcomes it all. Agape love chooses to forgive and move on and not to dwell on the wrong done against it. Agape love doesn't belittle. Agape love gives the benefit of the doubt. Agape love makes peace. And so if there is any root of hate or bitterness in our lives towards anyone, we need to confess it and seek reconciliation. And as we've seen before, only plugging into the power of God can we do that. Are you missing the second evidence of Christ? John also tells us, though, where our love should not lie. Let's continue to read 1 John 2, 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it But he who does the will of God abides forever. So John is confirming, the Holy Spirit through John is confirming what we already know to be true. We can very easily develop a a love for the things of this world. Uh, Look at the definition of world here. The whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, etc., which although hollow and frail and fleeting, stir desire, seduce away from God, and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. Do not love the things of the world. That's what it's talking about. The whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, etc., which although hollow and frail and fleeting, stir desire, seduce away from God, and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. See, sometimes our love shifts from that, which, 
from, from that which is good and pure and holy to that which is hollow and frail and fleeting. And so the question is, where is yours? Is your love pure or is it tainted with bitterness and hate? Is it for something that is not going to last? The second evidence of knowing life in Christ here in 1 John is love. Not for the world, but for each other. So let's look at the third evidence. It is faith. It is faith. The next blank on your outline. And we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but look at 1 John 5, 1. It says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him, who begot, also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, When we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So, church, we talk about faith a whole lot in here. Uh, Faith is likely why you're here this morning. But but something that we don't talk about a whole lot is is the next one. What faith leads to, the next evidence, and that is victory. It's victory. Verse 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God go ahead and tell your neighbor faith leads to victories faith leads to victories do you have victories in your life or or do you live in a perpetual state of defeat Romans 8.37 says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. That word conqueror is one who gains surpassing victory. And so we we are more than conquerors. We should be seeing victories in our lives. And victories come in different forms. Do, Do we overcome temptation or do we give in to them? If we overcome, that's a victory. Do you respond rather than react? If so, that's a victory. Do you control your tongue when when what comes through your brain shouldn't be said? If you can, then that's a victory. Do you overcome fear? Uh, Do you not dwell on what would worry you? Is there an ongoing process of transforming your mind to be more and more like Christ? These are victories, even coming to church today, despite all the obstacles to get here. That's a victory. We have great stories of victory among us. And so uh, the week that I was, I was working on this message, First John, I got a call from Miss Lori Smith. Miss Lori, you come on up. And she told me a story of victory that I've asked her to share with us this morning. Would you give her a hand and welcome her up? I've been holding this story back for a while, and it has been really hard. (laughs) But um, back in August, well, September, August, uh, August, when I told Brother Jim this a few weeks after that, he asked me if I would share with you all sometime, and so I've been holding it in ever since August, and, you know, I like to tell my friends what's going on and stuff in my life, so it's been really, really hard to keep it secret. But anyway, um, 
I talk in circles. I found that out in the first service. <laughs> um, I want to share with you all what, what God has done in my life recently and, and how, how it all came about. So a lot of you know, in 2015, I was diagnosed with a disease called sarcoidosis. And it affects um, all your major organs in your body. It can affect them all at once. It can affect one or the other, you know, different times. And so in 2015, I was diagnosed with it. And I've lived with chronic asthma since I was um, about 14, 15 years old. So whenever they told me what it was, I just like, okay. I've got a disease that's not curable. So I've lived with a de- disease this long for, you know, that's not curable. I'm, I'll deal with it. So I never had really bad issues or anything um, and didn't really realize what I was really dealing with until um, 2019, COVID was getting ready to hit us all and stuff. And um, I had two major asthma attacks. Mind you, I hadn't had major asthma attacks in over 25 years. And I had two major asthma attacks that I had to go to the hospital for. So from that point, I started getting sicker a little bit. Each month, I was a little sicker. And so I uh, May, uh, I got really sick. And I know I subbed at school. I couldn't go up the stairs. Some of some of the students probably remember me trying to hike up the stairs at high school, and I couldn't do it um, very well. So anyway, May came around, and I, I, was, I was pretty sick, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to do something about this. So early June, I went to my lung doctor, and, and he said, you know, well, let's try this. So in June, I was a little sicker, and... I went back to him and I said, I'm, I'm really sick here. You know, this, I can't walk across the room. Um, I can't breathe. I'm weak. I'm tired. And he said, you know, well, let's try this. So early July, he did a, he did a CAT scan of my lungs and stuff. And he never mentioned, you know, he said, it's, it's probably the sarcoidosis flaring up. So in, in early July, I went back to him and I said, "I can't, I can't do this. I'm like, you're gonna have to do something. I'm, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really going down here. Heal, Doctor Spence. You got to do something." And he said, "You know, there isn't nothing else I know to do for you, Lori. But I can send you out to Denver to the National Jewish Clinic out there, lung clinic." And he said, um, "Hopefully that you know they can do something." So I'm like, "Okay, when do I go?" And he he goes. Now it's a, I, he looked at me, he goes, just because it's a Jewish name doesn't mean that they don't treat everybody. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm still ready, let's go. So anyway, he started the process, and in mid-July, I told Pat, I said, Pat, I think I'm really going to die. I said, I think I'm dying a slow death. I, I think, I really don't think I'm going to make it. And so um, the it was... It was the middle of July, like the, I mean, second, third week. And um, I said, I, I want the elders of the church to pray for me. So Pat called 
he called, um, first, before I get that, he, the, they called me from National Jewish, and she said, um, real, very sweet lady we deal with, and she said, um, you know, she was asking all the questions and stuff she needed to do to get me a, an appointment, and I said, when do you think I'll get in? And she said, well, Miss Smith, the appointments, it takes six months to a year to get in. And I was, I was like, six months till you. I go, ma'am, I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to make it a year. I don't think I'm going to make it till Christmas if I don't get something done. So that was the middle of, of June, or July. And so I told Pat, I need, I need the elders to pray for me because, you know, I need some help here. And I am a firm believer of the power of prayer. Um, so anyway, he called Brother Jim and some of the elders and Brother Kevin and Brian and Melinda was there and my daughter and her husband was there. Mind you, I just had in April our first granddaughter and then in August we had our second grandson. So anyway, um, we came in on a Wednesday night and they prayed with me. And so the very next day, the very next day, Denver called and said, we've got you an appointment set for the end of August. That's God working, people. That's God working. So we left and went to Denver. Oh, I was like, okay, we're going to go. We'll be there. Had no idea how we was going to get there. Had no clue. But I just knew we were going. So guess the stimulus checks came in right around that time. God worked there, too. So anyway, we go out to Denver. And I thought Pat was going to have to wheel me around in a wheelchair because I was so weak. And I couldn't breathe to walk to that, to that first pew. But I was determined to make it through whatever they threw at me. So the first thing was um, breathing, you know, tests where they put you in the little box and you have to breathe. Well, I flunked them all. I couldn't even do them. I was so sick. And um, they did some other tests with me. They tried to do me physical therapy, and that was a failure. And anyway, so when I got to the end, we had to stay an extra week because of the test. They just kept throwing tests at me and stuff. So we got to the end of the 15 days. We was out there 15 days, and I finally seen my sarcoidosis doctor again. And he said, "Miss Smith, from the time from from the middle or the beginning of July when I had a, a CAT scan here in Missouri to the time I went out there and had a CAT scanner out there, he said, your lungs have gotten so much worse. He said, right now, there's nothing that we can do for you but put you on prednisone. He said, you don't qualify for the uh, experimental drugs. And I was kind of disappointed. But he said, you know, this is all we can do. And then you'll come back in three months. And he will say, he'll, you know, see where you're at. And I said, like, okay, three months. Uh, you know, let's make it six because when I come back, 
you're going to be surprised at, at how well I've done because I've got a lot of people praying for me all over the world. You know, uh, luckily I've, I worked with a lot of people from all over the world and uh, thank God for Facebook. So I had a lot of people, the church, a lot of people praying for me. So um, we went home and uh, three months or six months came over. In December, we had to go back. And I mean, I don't think they thought I was even coming back, really. But we came back and I took the breathing test, blew right through them. And um, I was walking. I could I could walk really well. And so they was really surprised at how far I'd came. But I still, my, my lungs and my body still has taken a beating from over the years and stuff. So I still struggle with some stuff. But um, we came home December. I was in remission. The sarcoidosis was in remission. That was God working. So we come home and, it was, you know, we're going through um, a lot of stuff. And in May, in May, I was driving down the road Coming to coming to Potosi from Stillville, well, I, I spent a lot of time with God on that drive, and I was I was driving and I was like, "Man, Lord, I'm tired. I'm I'm just tired of this. I I just don't know how much more I can take. My body is tired. I just I'm you know, Lord, I just I just am I'm done. I can't. I don't know how much farther I can go. I don't want to leave." my kids. I don't want to leave my grandkids. I don't want to leave my family. A lot of people, uh, you know, they, they need me. And I was driving and God has spoken to me before, but not like this. I'm driving down the highway. I'm telling him this. And he says, just as clear as if somebody was sitting in my car, name them, name them. And I knew immediately what he was talking about. Man, I went to naming all these things that was wrong with me, that was bothering me, feeling. And immediately, I mean immediately, I felt relieved. It's done. I heard it. It's done. They're gone. They're gone. Just as it's done. I laid them at the feet of Jesus, and I, I said, I named them, and I said, I lay them at your feet, Jesus. I'm walking away. And I heard the voice, just like I heard, name them. It's done. It's gone. So we go back in August to the clinic and, you know, for a checkup, whatever, hoping that maybe I'll get on this new experimental drug they have for the sarcoidosis. And um, I went through all this testing. It's scarred. There's nothing there. It's scarred. Um, in my lungs, scarred. In my heart, I had two places, which you don't want to get sarcoidosis in your heart. It's pretty much a death right there. And there was two little places in my heart that wasn't there when they did the test in um, August, gone. Just little, like, scars, I guess. I don't know. But they're gone. In my brain, I had two little places that we didn't even know was there gone um it's all gone folks it's all gone and uh it's it was god he 
he took away all of it. And, you know, I'm standing here and telling you today it's gone. And the, the human side of me saying, you know, it might come back. It's a, they said it's in remission. It might come back. But no, God told me it was gone, and I know it's not going to be here. The faith in me says it's gone. you for sharing that story incredible story of, of victory through faith uh, through very dark places through man through the fire there's victory you know faith says I, I believe that God can and, and Lord even if you don't you're you're still good but here's the truth church uh, all these different things, when, we're, when, we're, when they're stacked up against us, these different things, man, it, it's really easy for us to be a victim rather than a victor, isn't it? It, it only comes naturally, you know? They are total opposites. You can write that down. The opposite of a victor is a victim. A victim always blames someone else for their situation. A victim doesn't t- take time to, to, to see their own actions, see if their own actions have gotten them in that place. And if there's anything that needs to be confessed and, and find the grace of God, sometimes there's not, but we always need to check. A victim believes that God has abandoned them. A victim believes uh, it, it doesn't take time to listen to, to what God is trying to say to them through the trial. A victim lives defeated. And church, Satan wants you to be a victim. But Jesus wants you to be a victor. Being a victim comes naturally. And that's another reason we need Jesus. Church, I know that there are incredible stories of victory among us. And so I want to encourage all of us over lunch today just to start sharing stories of how have you have seen victories of faith because of what God has done. Okay, so we, we've seen the evidence here in 1 John. Uh, a, a righteous life. We practice righteousness. We love others. We have faith. We see victory. The last blank on your outline. What are we if we don't see all this evidence in our lives? Well, we're dead. <clears throat> According to 1 John, we're dead. We're not God's child. We've not been born again. We're still a child of the devil. 1 John 3.10 In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. There's that word again. means made obvious. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. A child of the devil. That's what, that's what Jesus called the Pharisees. In John eight forty four, and think about them as we, as we're closing here. They they were super religious. They had it all together on the outside, but they never let it sink into their hearts. They knew the stories about God, but they didn't know God. They made up rules for Him, but they didn't know Him. They were they were counterfeit. And a statistic that has always just just hurt. It's been a, been a heavy on my heart. It's been said that eighty percent of church attenders don't really know God. And and I like to think it's different at this church, but is it possible that there's a counterfeit Christian among us? See, we can do all the right things on the outside and even look good to everyone around us and even know about Jesus, but if it hasn't gone from our heads to our hearts, 
then we too are counterfeits. Think about a, a counterfeit $10 bill, $100 bill. It may change hands a hundred times. It may buy groceries and gas. It may do a lot of good that each person thought it was real. But when it gets to that bank and they finally check it with the marker to see if it's real, they're going to take it out of circulation. A counterfeit Christian may do a lot of of good things in this life, but when they meet Jesus face to face, he's going to say, depart from me, I didn't know you. And so it comes down to each one of us checking our own hearts. Do we have this evidence of knowing Jesus? And church, I don't think John wrote this to scare us. I think John wrote this to, so that we would be assured. Listen, if we have done everything that the Word says to be saved, we can rest assured. We can have that joy overflowing because we are no longer dead. We have new life in Christ. And so we circle back to chapter 1, verse 4. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we go into a time of invitation? And if I've talked to you about uh, making a profession of faith or joining the church this morning, this is the time to come on forward. But when we consider all that Jesus has done for us and all that He's brought us from, it should produce joy in us, overflowing no matter what happens knowing that there is something much, much better, much, much better that, that God has in store for us? Is there evidence in your life? Is, do you practice righteousness? Is there anything in your, in your heart, in your life, that would not be considered righteous? Do you have love? Do you have uh, faith? Do you see victory? Or do you live in a perpetual state of defeat? It's not what God has called us to. And so you allow him to move in your heart during this time of invitation. Lord, we do invite you to come. And we thank you for for your word, how it applies to each of our hearts. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the victories. And and I know, Lord, that as, as we discuss these victories over lunch, It's going to be a blessing to us. Be with us as we leave from here. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his awesome name that we pray. Amen.